ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Welcome to another episode of Gone with the Bushes, where two generations of bushes discuss, analyze, critique, and give our own take on classic films. We welcome your input. Woohoo! So, today's episode is The Man Who, Who Knew, Knew Too much. much by Alfred Hitchcock, 1956, right? Correct. Okay. Based on the original Bulldog Drummond story, Sapper. So, Alfred Hitchcock. We're going to be doing a lot more episodes of Alfred Hitchcock because he's my first favorite director. And you studied him a lot in film school when you went to the Ivy League adjacent university. That is Drexel University in Philadelphia. Yes, but I was obsessed with Alfred Hitchcock in high school. Oh, yeah, you were. Like, big time. So, this movie in the Alfred Hitchcock oeuvre, in his <laughs> filmography, um, he had, by this time, in 1956, he had already done Dial M for Murder, Rear Window, To Catch a Thief, and The Trouble with Harry. Exactly. I was surprised. Yes. Yeah, so, that's, that's big time. But then... After this movie, he follows it up with The Wrong Man, Vertigo, North by Northwest, Psycho, and The Birds. The man was on fire. So this is this is like he's he's peaked. He hasn't peaked, but he this is his his prime. This is this is like his his he's in the pocket. This he's, is his genre, and he definitely. I mean, when I did research and found all the little things he does to build the suspense and get the audience involved in the suspense. I, that, of course, a, a non-filmiotechic person. <laughs> Made up that word. Yes, I did. Um, wouldn't know. So, it, it, yeah, really interesting. And so there's the thing with Hitchcock is he's, he's had so many classics. He's like, when you think of suspense in movies, you automatically think of Alfred Hitchcock, his career spanned it. He started in the silent era and it spanned it all the way until like his death in the, I believe like 1980. And so that means he was there for the beginning of film. And a lot of his films, they're so great because he doesn't rely on spoken word. It was all about imagery. And he, he was trust spoken word. He doesn't trust. Yes. He this guy, a lot of times he would already uh, have the whole film shot for shot in his head and he would just shoot it shot for shot. Because a lot of times if you watch a movie, they they'll do a lot of coverage. Um, what that means is like you, you they'll shoot a, a wide shot, an establishing shot, and then they'll go in and do the close ups. And with a film. Um, usually there's only one camera going. So every time you see like the camera cut to a different size shot, that's a completely different setup. That's a different take. And then in editing, they go in and they really, that's like editing super important because that's where they really piece the film together. And if you have a lot of different coverage shots, then you have a lot of different ways that your film can be put together. And that also means that you have a lot of different ways where other people can stick their nose into the film and say, no, you should go with this. You should use this shot. You should drop that. You should do that. And since Hitchcock was such like the man, he didn't want other people messing with this shot because he had a vision of what he wanted. So he only provided those shots. So there was, it was like a jigsaw puzzle. There was o- the only way to put the film together 
was the way that he had intended it. Well, that's a true director, is it not? Well, I mean, there's there's pros and cons for it. It it really depends on kind of what you're going. Like his style of cinemas is one in that it really lent itself to that. Was he a bit of an egomaniac? Well, I mean, all directors are a bit of an egomaniac. Oh. It takes a bit of it. It takes a bit of a, a certain someone to be like, okay, everyone, this is what we're doing. This is how I see it. Now get it done. So he was. And he definitely, I mean, he, from all, like, the books, there's a great book, Hitchcock, Truffaut, which is just these two, like, Francois Truffaut, Truffaut is a famous uh, French New Wave filmmaker, and he got to sit down and do this whole long interview with Hitchcock and really picking its brain, his brain about all these different things. Fantastic. And I, I used that book for some research. Nice, because it was in my closet of my room. Because it was given to you by the people at the Pentagon when you worked with them that year. I didn't know that. Yep. So that was one book that you didn't have to pay for when I went to college. Outstanding. Thank you, Pentagon. Yes. So, The Man Who Knew Too Much, it is actually... Hitchcock made, an, I think it's 1934 film, yep. The Man Who Knew Too Much, back in his black and white British days. Yeah, he started out in England. Mm-hmm. And he said that the first version is a work of a talented amateur, and the second one, the one we're going to discuss, was made by a professional. Because he always loved the idea of the film, but um, this second one, he they really, I mean, by this time, like I said, he, he'd already done like this murder row of films. So the, the studios were like, hitch, whatever you want. So they gave him the big bucks and it's like, finally, I get to, I get to do this the way I had envisioned it. Mm-hmm. So it's shot in VistaVision and I was like, what's VistaVision? I never knew. So VistaVision is a higher resolution widescreen variant of the 35 millimeter motion picture format that was created by engineers at Paramount Pictures in 1954. That just came off the top of her head. Off the dome from the paper. Paramount didn't use any anamorphic processes like uh, Cinescope. So and I was like, well, all right, what's the anamorphic process? So an, an anamorphic process is when you're shooting a widescreen picture on standard 35 millimeter, and to achieve the widescreen, you use um, a projection format where the image is stretched by an anamorphic lens to create the correct aspect ratio. So oh. for anyone old enough to actually remember 35 millimeter film, it's the same film that you would put in your film cameras back in the day. Yeah. And so you had the 35, you have your square uh ratio and they it would be shot in a way that it used the widescreen format but then if you ever looked at the negative of the 35 millimeter it was all like scrunched together people would look super tall so like a mirror in the funhouse yeah like you have the mirror in the funhouse and every in it you see it and you're all of a sudden you're stretch and so that's how the image was and then when it got projected it would use an anamorphic lens that would wide and everything out so you would see it wide but this division is different because they took what they would do is they they used the regular 35 millimeter negative film and then they they moved it the negative horizontally in the camera gate to shoot on a wider (sighs) area 
Oh my goodness. Which is funny because to do this podcast, Ma took a picture of the notes that she hand wrote. And the first image that she took, she actually, instead of using, you know, your phone straight up vertical, she went into portrait. And so she was able to get a wider area of what she shot. But every time I looked at it, I I would have to crane my neck 90 degrees because the camera kept moving it. So that's exactly what VistaVision is is that imagine like the 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 frame is like your phone and it's vertical and that's how everybody was shooting the the vertical and then VistaVision they they like just turned it 90 degrees so that's horizontal so you're getting the wider image and going through that way and so if I hadn't sent my notes to you that way you wouldn't have had that great way to explain it to our listeners yes ma exactly you're welcome thank you why I did it that way and but the same with the Vista Vision it only lasted seven years because eventually finer film grade stock um, kind of put it out into existence I remember seeing it in movies when I was a, mm-hmm. a young lass but it's the forebear the same technology that's used about tilt of moving the negative 90 degrees and having it be horizontal that's the same way that they they that's how they do the IMAX the 70 millimeter film And a lot of times, like um, Dark Knight and Inception also used the VistaVision VistaVision cameras, actually, for a lot of their um, uh, special effects because they needed so much coverage that they didn't have that many IMAX cameras. So they would still they still use the like the VistaVision technology and the science behind it is still on point. That's fascinating. Mm hmm getting this because she went to an Ivy League adjacent school of people. Okay, so the story stars James Stewart and Doris Day mm-hmm. as Dr. Ben McKenna and Joe, his wife. Conway. Conway? Yeah, she's Joe Conway. She was Joe Conway. She was a famous singer. So famous that wherever she went, she was mobbed by people who knew her. But she had... <laughs> 1956, give up her illustrious career to become the wife of a doctor in Indianapolis, Indiana. Like, how did these two meet? Uh, maybe on one time she was doing a concert in Indianapolis or perhaps Cincinnati, the bigger city. And uh, maybe she fell off the stage and he had to come and help her. I, I have no idea. But the fact that she had to give up this huge career was definitely a 50s thing. Yeah, because he was a doctor and he couldn't. And she even. Oh, well, we'll get to that. Yeah, we will, because she seemed like an angry woman. Yeah. So she they play Jimmy Stewart is Ben McKenna and Doris Day is, as we say, Joe Conway. And they have a son named Hank. Hank. And people, they the movie starts. Well, actually, before the 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 action starts, they have this. um, What do you call it when words come up on the screen? A title. Well, but it's after the title, like well, the, the, the opening sequence. The the, the I guess the title sequence of the film is pretty cool because all it is is you're just watching the like the timpani player. I, I, exactly, this dude gets his shine on like he like nobody's ever watching the timpani player, but right. they're, they're watching right. the timpani player and they're, it's those doing... kettle drums were going, weren't they? <laughs> they? They were. But then the words come up that say, um. This family is on vacation when a chance in 
the stranger sets their lives on a drastically different course. Wait, that was and a title for you? No, that was that was written. That was that's what flashed on the screen during the timpani player, and, and then they show the symbols. That did the guy with the symbols. Oh, my version didn't. My version had um, a single crash of symbols and how it rocked an American family. Oh my goodness! Okay, well, when when I get back to my notes, we'll check on that. <laughs> Because it, it's the cl- climax. It's basically a symphony. You're hearing, the, the, you're hearing everything, the crescendo. And then it goes to, that's where they're doing all of like who is in it. The costumes by Edith Head. The score by Bernard yeah, Herrmann. Yeah. They're doing all that okay. stuff. And then they, the symbols crash. <laughs> Maybe I gave you the synopsis <laughs> of the film. <laughs> I was like, why is the title telling you what the movie is about? Okay, that's why there are two of us, folks. But the film starts in where? Morocco. Morocco. You think you people think that we're just pulling these titles out out of thin air? But no, we tied into Casablanca <laughs> because they were in Casablanca and they were moving. They were going to Marrakesh. Yes. Yeah, so they're on the back of the bus. On the back of the bus. I noticed that. I was like, good. Uh, yeah. And it was a it was a quite an ethnically diverse bus. I was a little surprised that they were on like such a a like a, a an earthy Yeah. <laughs> an every man bus. Yeah. Yeah. I was kinda of surprised that Joan went for that. I was actually I was very surprised that Joan went for the entire trip to Morocco. Yeah. Well, but but Hank, Hank, the little boy, tells somebody, you know, my daddy liberated Africa. Yeah, because he was, Ben was a doctor at the field hospital in Casablanca. When they I wonder turned, if he helped Humphrey Bogart at any point. Oh, well, Bogart was gone by then. He, he, they hightailed oh, it out. So they used Rick's American Cafe as the, that was the triage. That was the mash. And oh, okay. Ben, mm-hmm. Ben was like the Alan Alda of Rick's American hospital triage place. There you go. And this is all fact, people. <laughs> yeah. D- duh. So they're on the bus and this Frenchman, Louis Bernard, oh, is wait, on wait, the wait. bus. Before oh, we get to. Well, no, but let's let's we have to bring to light some shade that they're throwing on Africa. They, they refer to it as the dark continent and the little boys like, I don't, it seems twice as bright as Indiana. And then, and Joe's like, well, it's not really Africa. This is French <gasps> Morocco. did notice that. Yes. We're not actually mingling with the, the people of extreme color. Yeah. We're, just, we're with the brown people. Okay. I'm turning my notes to... Okay, so, oh yeah, <laughs> this is where it says a single crash of symbols <laughs> and how it rocked the lives of an American family with its single crash of symbols. Okay, so the kids walk, Hank is walking up the aisle and accidentally pulls a lady's scarf off of her head. Why is the boy walking on a moving bus just walking down the aisle? 
the parents weren't on cell phones, so it's not like they shouldn't have been watching him. It, the, it's a moving bus. He needs to be seated. Yes. And he's just and walking. And if there seat belts, the mother needs to be acting as one. Oh, oy vey. And, and then, so what happens? So, so he accidentally pulls the scarf off her head because the bus screeches to a halt. And then this Frenchman gets up because the husband of the wife of the missing scarf was livid, saying, why aren't you watching your kid? There's no reason for this kid to be walking around pulling my wife's headscarf yeah. off. Now my wife, now my wife is basically like rotten fruit. Exactly. Got to dump her at the next stop. You know, we have to we have to get off here and we have to stone her to death because she showed her face. What the hell? And I think the little boy should see it because these are the consequences of his actions. Yeah, he's going to throw the last stone. Exactly. Um, But so evidently the Frenchman smoothed it all over. The bus pulls into the marketplace and they all get off. They get a ride to the hotel in a wagon, and they're going to meet this nice Bernard a drink at the hotel. Yes, but so while they're on the bus and the, you know, the they, they say he's an Arab. That's why they refer to him. And there's always disdain whenever they're like, oh, the, he's speaking to the Arab. So that when the Arab guy is is, you know, like getting mad at Ben and the French, the French guy who is, again, Luis Bernard. He is, you know, translating and stuff. Then Bernard sits down and they have a conversation and he's, you know, Bernard's asking him questions and Ben is just giving him, he's like just loose lips, chatty Kathy, basically (laughs) telling him, this guy, everything about his life. Uh, You know, he's a doctor in Indianapolis. He was stationed in Casablanca. All of this stuff, blah blah blah, the blah, bloody blah, blah blah. Yeah. And they so evidently never traveled with your father. <laughs> lips tight. Don't touch anything. <laughs> Eyes, uh, head on a swivel. Be aware of your surroundings. surroundings. And if something happens and I tell you to do it, I don't have time to explain to you. You just have to do it. There. <laughs> You would not have been walking on that bus. I would not have been walking on that bus. Louise Bernard would not have been talking to our family. We would have been stared at, though, as the McKenna's were. So as we always have been, always have been. So, um, yeah, so they make plans when they get off the bus at Marrakesh and Bernard's. He's like, oh, you're staying at this hotel. And Joy's like, Joe's like, ah. how do you know that we're staying at this hotel? And he's like, well, you guys are obviously classy tourists and that's where the classy yeah. tourists stay. So for, Ben's like, well, well uh, why don't you come on up to our, uh, our hotel room and, and we'll, we'll have a drink and then we'll go out to dinner. And it's much better than your Humphrey Bogart. You know, <laughs> it'll get worse. And then, <laughs> and then they see Bernard talking to this Arab again like it like they were friends like they actually knew each other and Joe is very suspicious oh she she was given Bernard the side eye from the very the very get-go she's like oh you're from France like she doesn't believe anything of his story 
and Ben, they get on the a horse-drawn carriage because that's what Hank, how Hank wants to ride. He wants to ride in style in the carriage. And so they're they're on their way to the hotel. And Joe's like, "What are you doing? You just gave that. You just said everything about who we are. Like, might as well have given him this Louise Bernard guy our passports, our social security numbers. You know, yeah, I mean, everything. And like, what do we know about him? And he's like, "Oh, come on now, oh, Joe. Oh, it was just a conversation." Oh. Like Jimmy Stewart in this movie is every Jimmy Stewart impression you've seen. Yes. <laughs> like this is this is the movie where all of those impressions came from. Yeah. And did you notice Joe had her white gloves? <laughs> Look, Joe was like, hey, you you can put me in French Morocco, but I am still gonna be wearing the high heels and pearls. Like I'm in Indianapolis. I think she actually had kitten heels on. And she just kept telling him, we're being watched. I know we're being watched. Because they get to the hotel and this other white couple comes by and gives like serious side eye to as they're walking by. Like just like this woman does Joe dirty. And Joe's like, what? Why are you looking at me? Yep. And she's like, she's like, Ben, I'm telling you. I, we got eyes on us. So I'll save that for a little later. I had a exactly, exactly. So then we go to nighttime, and um, they're in the room getting ready for their fancy dinner downstairs with Bernard. And Bernard's and, already there. He's posted up by the drinks. Yes, yes, not 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 a fool. And so um, she's putting Hank to bed and singing Kesara Sarah. Did, did you notice that she never sings um what is it in music when it's soft? Oh <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. She always belts it out. I mean she's singing a, this song to put her kid to sleep and she is belting it out. Well I people in glass houses, Ma. I mean have you ever sung Kesara Sarah quietly? And <laughs> Hank was singing with her too. And, and whistling. Then, Got the go finger whistles going. Yeah, and then she said, um, well, and then he started whistling, foreshadowing, <laughs> when he started whistling. And the, um, the manager has arranged for a babysitter to come up. Some people might find that <laughs> odd that they're just going to let anybody babysit their kid. But actually, we did that in Switzerland with you. And what? The babysitter was so cute. Poppy kind of wanted to stay back in the room with you instead of going out to dinner with me. Wait a second. Are you serious? Because I put a note. I said, they're leaving Hank with a babysitter? Three exclamation points and a question mark? Yeah, because if you, okay, if you stay in a really nice, um, high-class place, they that's, that's part, yeah, it's, it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I okay, they, so it wouldn't happen in these times, but in they basically yeah. you. I almost got. I'm beginning. Do you know the sex and child rings that they probably their headquarters at these nice fancy places? Oh my gosh! Well, again, I don't think you were on the top of their list for the. <laughs> but if the babysitter wasn't taken, um, trust me, you were safe. Um, the babysitter wasn't taken. 
Bernard. Oh, then um, Joe was asking Bernard questions and he was just like very, um, uh, he wasn't saying anything. So then she got even more suspicious. Yeah, because she said, tell me, Mr. Bernard, were you, have you ever even been to Paris? Mm-hmm. And he was like, I was born there. And then she then she was like, oh, but as someone I mean, I was born in Germany. Like, you could be yeah. born somewhere, leave and never return. So I was kind of like I would have been like, so and. Exactly. Um, and but he doesn't answer any of her questions. She said, what business are you in? And he says, I buy and sell. Well, who doesn't? And he said, well, what what do you buy and sell? He didn't answer that, did he? Yes, he did. I'm looking for it. Huh. <laughs> I was, I I was just like, oh, that's good. Questions. Oh, he says, whatever gives the best profit. Oh. Mm. oh. And After that sex ring. See? That, hey, he's already eyeballed. You know what? That, oh, okay. This, this movie had... This, this, okay. Well, there's a knock at the door. Therapy after probably. I can't believe this. Then there's a knock on the door, and the shadiest looking dude ever was standing at the door. He's called Creepy Face from now on, and he makes eye contact with Bernard. Creepy Face is good, Uh, and um, like not just creepy, but it's like he had a facelift and they pulled way too tight. Or, like, his face got burned off and, it, like, his face is just, like, it, yeah, I guess pulled too tight is... Oh, yeah. It, it just, just like, you, the camera goes on this guy and you're like, he's up to no good. That's a creepy face. He was yeah. casted because of his creepy face. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then, as, after they make eye contact, Bernard says, may I use your telephone in a French accent? May I? Okay, never mind. Oh, and oh, bailing. After May I after use the, your telephone? There you go. Telephone. And um, he's, he hangs up and says, I can't go to dinner with you tonight, but uh, I have a, an important matter to tend to. Right. So Joe and Ben go to this super authentic Marrakesh restaurant. And this is where some humor, there is humor. Yeah, because Jimmy Stewart's got some long legs. <laughs> and he's sitting on these little, like, couch cushions on, close to the ground. And Jimmy Stewart could be in the trainer family, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Very and long he, and lean. He's trying to sit down, and he, he can't do anything with his legs because they're just way too long. And, and, Comic really. Yeah, and he has to switch seats with his wife and stuff. And then the the uh, behind them, like, they're sharing backs the it's the the woman the couple from that was giving them the side eye when they got to the hotel and uh-huh. she turns around and gives them another side eye and joe joe leans over to ben and is like i'm telling you like that's the same couple and they're like giving me some dirty looks and 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 um we're being watched i tell you we're being watched mm-hmm. um, i felt like joe was kind of a bitch she does but she I mean, yeah, she does, but also she's a star. 
Like Joe, she was world famous. She played the stages. She played was. Broadway. She played was. London. Was. <laughs> yeah, but that's. Yeah, she's a doctor's wife from Indianapolis. Yeah, and the truth is. Oh, and, and she's happy. Her. And she's happy being the doctor's wife from yeah. Indianapolis. So, yeah, so, she's kind of a bitch. Kind of a bitch. And so this couple, Lucy and Edward, say, well, let's all sit together. And um, so they're all sitting together and they bring out the food. And, of course, in Marrakesh, you eat the food with your hands, which was another funny thing with Jimmy Stewart because he he just couldn't get the hang of it. Well, why can't I use my other hand? It's uh, it's lonely in my lap. (laughs) And so he does. And then he gets side eye. From everybody. Yeah, everybody runs over. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No. No, no Only hands. You index, middle finger, thumb. That's it. Which, which, yeah, you would want to use your other hand. I mean, they're pulling a, a whole chicken apart. You don't it's use hard to the, do with just three fingers. Yeah, but you don't use the other hand because the other hand's your poop hand. Well, uh, thank you. I'm just saying, that's, the, that's where that comes from. Yeah. Okay, I could go into something, but I'm going to let that go. Um, so Edward is says he's with United Nations Relief, and he works with soil erosion. Oh, hmm. classy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where Joe Conway and her husband, Ben McKenna, have a bit of an argument about, you know, how he can pretty much be a doctor anywhere but she can only sing on certain stages. And he's like, well, I have patience. And then Bernard shows up. You know, Bernard, I can't do dinner with you tonight. I have mm-hmm. something important to do. Shows up with a date. And so Joe is like, I can't believe it. I can't believe he did that. I just can't believe he did that. And so Jimmy Stewart is like, oh, yeah. be Jimmy Stewart doing the, it's not a big deal. Well, well, I mean, Joe, he's a, like, who, he maybe knows. I don't know. Look at her. I'd rather eat with her than with us. We're an old married couple. not happen, people. But he, he's like that. And then, then Joe keeps going on. So then Ben gets upset about it. And he's going to go say something. Well, I'm going to go say something. And and Joe goes, I don't know why he gets so upset about these things. She egged him After on. She just egged him on to get upset about it. <sighs> uh, Women. Okay. So I wrote that in my notes because I just felt like that she was playing in then. I did too. So they didn't confront him and dinner was over. Mm-hmm. And then it's the next day and they're well, going to the market. Yeah, because they, they made plans. The the Draytons or Lucy and Ed are like, well, we're going to the market tomorrow. You guys want to come? And they're like, sure, we're gonna we'll go to the market. So they all go to the market. They all look at the acrobats. Um, you know, they. So when you went sightseeing and you met another couple, did you just pawn me off to the other couple as you went sightseeing like they did to Hank? No, because you were always with us at that point. It. Uh, uh, um, but during the acrobats, did you see that was when A.H. made his cameo? Yes. Alfred Hitchcock always makes a cameo in his films. That's I had to go back was. and look for it. I, I was like, oh, there he is. Yeah, it was really prominent if you knew to look for it. But he did it then because your eyes would be on the acrobats. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
um, Hank is with Mrs. Drayton, and they're going off to see the medicine man. Oh. Oh, oh yeah, because, because Hank's like, hey, Pa, we're going to go see the medicine man. Maybe you can learn something. Did you notice that Jimmy Stewart's pants were almost up to his armpits? Very high-waisted. They were very high-waisted pants. Okay. So there's a commotion at the town in, in the in the square. Police, there's the whistles going, there's chasers. Oh. Joe says to Jimmy Stewart, when are we going to have another baby? Exactly. Right here in the middle of Marrakesh, in the marketplace, we're going to... You, you never told me you wanted to have another baby. Okay, so that's when the whistles start. He, and luckily for him, he got out of that. He's like, whoa, you are grabbing his necktie, neckline. Like, <laughs> and People were running. The police were chasing. Somebody gets stabbed in the back. Yeah. and But not like the stabbed in the back where you got stabbed and you're down. The stabbed in the back where you... You you uh, stammer and, and you're like walking off balance with your hands out in front of you, like the Walking Dead. Yeah, like a, you're doing the zombie right walk into Jimmy Stewart's arms. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he is a doctor, but he doesn't act like a doctor in this scene. Well, he doesn't. He just kind of holds the guy with the knife stuck in his back, and the guy whispers something in his ear, and then we see that it. The guy is well. Then the guy, fa- the guy whispers into into Jimmy Stewart's mm-hmm. ears. It's close up on Stewart's blue eyes as they get wide as this guy is telling him something. And then the man, as soon as he he lets that, he croaks and he's like ah, and he just slips down to the ground and and as he slips, he his face falls through Jimmy Stewart's white hands and there's brown smeared on his white hands and he looks down at the the finger-streaked face to see. It is. It is Bernard. Bernard. Fake brown face. Yes. Now, I have trivia. Because the brown face they put on Bernard, they couldn't find one that would actually streak when Jimmy Stewart's hands touched it. Mm -hmm. So they had to put some white stuff on Jimmy Stewart's hands so that when he touched it, the white stuff went on Bernard's face so that it looked like he was taking the brown face off. Because mm. I did kind of think, like, when they showed Bernard's face, I was like, he wasn't that white. Yeah. that's yeah. That makes sense, though. But that's good. Because it gets the it's visual and it gets the point across. Yeah. And and do, do we know at that point what was whispered? Um, I think, it, I think so. Yeah. He whispered... A statesman is to be killed, assassinated in London very soon. Uh, Ambrose Chapel. Yes. And then he dies in Jimmy Stewart's arms. So Jimmy Stewart, but again, he's a doctor. He didn't do any sort of like life saving. He didn't like rip off his jacket and like, you know, kind of do the wound. I don't know. Maybe he maybe he did take a look down at his back and was like, this is a lost cause. Yeah. Uh, it might have been like if he pulled the knife out, that would be like taking a 
a bolt out of your tire, then then all the air is going to come out, all the blood would come out. So he decided not to do that. And he couldn't really put him on his back with that knife sticking in it to do CPR. Yeah, it's true. So, so I guess he made the best call he could, being a doctor in 1956 from Indianapolis. Yeah. Okay, so Jimmy Stewart says to Joe, give me something to write on. Because he had to write that information down. Mm-hmm. And then the, is that like the police are kind of like, hey, do you know him? Yeah. And <laughs> Joe is <laughs> like, like, yeah. yeah. Then Joe is, Joe has the, has the runny mouth and she's telling everything. And Jimmy's looking at her like, why are you talking? Yeah, like, what the Let's hell? just pretend like we don't know it. Why do we have to like tell everybody that we know this guy? He just died with a knife in his back. I don't think that we should know him. <laughs> I think we should. I think we should slowly walk into the crowd. <laughs> Nothing to see Cause, here. Because nobody would notice them. I'm not even going to write down what it was because I don't want to know this information. People who know this information get knives in their backs. Really? They yeah. They haven't seen enough Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> oh, I'm the man who knew too much, Joe. I know too much. So um, they they have to go to the police station. So Mrs. Drayton says, let me take Hank back to the hotel. He doesn't need to go to the police station. They go, you know what? That's a really good idea. And Mr. Drayton goes, I'll come along with you. And I will, you know, be your interpreter when they have the single light bulb over you interrogating you. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you know. And then, then Jimmy Stewart's going, why did he pick me out to tell? Well, but why? But why me? There's, there's five 5,000 people in Marrakesh. Why? Joe, why me? And the police don't, don't believe him that they just met yesterday because they're going... Well, okay, so you had dinner with him. You know I'm on the bus. And so so Mr. Drayton is there, and he's very important, very important because he can translate. And the police chief goes, "Uh, no need for that. I speak English, so get out of here. Back off, buddy. I know the queen's tongue. So, and Ben goes full-on American. When he's in the, when the police are like, but um, isn't it a little suspicious that you like know all these things and have all the people he shows and it's like, no, 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 you just wait a minute, I'm an American, and I'll go to my I'll go to my embassy if I have to. So Did he say that? Yeah, like pre- pretty much. I mean, he he threw out the he looked in his wallet, found the American card, and just like threw it on the table. But that card meant a lot at the time. <laughs> and, yeah, well, back in the good old days. And that's when they find out that Louis Bernard was actually the French FBI. Yes. So like, and then a telephone call comes. And they're like, uh, Miss McKenna, it's for... Wait, no, it wasn't for Miss McKenna. It was for Ben. It was for mi- yeah, it was for Mr. Yeah. And he goes and, and he gets the telephone call. And the, and the voice on the other end says... Tell one word, and your little boy is in serious danger. Yeah, and it's a it's the cl- it cuts to the classic shot of the bad guy from up above. He's in some sort of looks looks Moroccan sort of uh, big opulent room. 
we just see the back of the chair. You don't see the bad guy's face, but you're just like, oh, that's the bad guy. Yeah, but we don't know who it is. But they have Hank. And if he, they say one word, that's it. That's it. He's going to get a, what kind of necktie? He's going to get a Colombian Colombian necktie. necktie. So right away, Hank, Hank calls, says, call Mrs. Drayton and, 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 and to, to Mr. Drayton. See if, see if Hank's okay. And there was no answer from Mrs. Drayton. None. Did you notice that Jimmy Stewart kept playing with the phone book that whole time? Mm-hmm. It was, it was very nervous. Yeah, was, I just he, wondered if that was any kind of foreshadowing, but it didn't seem to be, did it? No, I think it's just to create tension. Okay, okay. Because, you know, you could obviously see on his face that he's uh, kind of getting worried. You know, I mean, imagine, um, yeah. you know, you were out in Switzerland and <laughs> you come back. And and your little baby isn't there anymore. Not there and anymore. The gorgeous babysitter. Mm-hmm. And so, Boy, in this case, it was Mrs. Drayton. She wasn't gorgeous. <laughs> no, she she looked. She reminded me of Ethel, like a a, oh. a, a severe looking Ethel. Ethel on a cleanse, maybe. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, not to be catty or anything. <laughs> Meow. <laughs> so then um, they they send uh, they send Drayton back to the hotel, and he lies to Joe. He doesn't tell Joe any of this yet. Yeah, Ben doesn't um, tell Joe that um, I might have misplaced our son. Yeah, when we when we just let him go with somebody we didn't know <laughs> at all. <laughs> they just spoke English and they were old, and they're like, "You can have our kid." Um, to Joe. Not back in 15 minutes, call American Consulate. I wonder what that meant. Well, they're on the horse-drawn wagon, and Ben is but very nervous. But he had to sign a statement. Yeah, they had to sign a statement of facts. So they did that, and now they're on the horse-drawn carriage, and he wants to see the note, so he reads the note. We see that the audience sees the note again. It says it mentions Ambrose Chapel. Uh-huh. And so Joe wants to. She wants to go back to the hotel, pick up Hank and get out of Dodge. Yeah. She just saw a man get murdered. I don't blame her. Yeah. Actually. She was like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with French Morocco. And so Ben is thinking and he, you can see him. He's really running through it, all his options. Yeah, and you can actually see them running through his mind. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, I guess it's time for us to have our monthly fight. So I guess they do have a bit of a rocky relationship. Of course they would, because Joe is very resentful of Ben. Yeah. So they, um, he asked, the when they arrive at the hotel, Ben asked the bellhop man if they saw the British woman and, and a little boy. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he asked, well, what about uh, Mr. Drayton? And he's like, oh, Mr. Drayton checked out. I've ne- he, he, The bellhop did not see Lucy. She didn't see Lucy with Hank. And nope. she no did, signs of Hank. No signs. They never came back. And the guy, Ed, he checked out. Yep. So they're up in the hotel room. 
And they know that the shit is hitting the fan. They don't know. Only one of them knows. Oh, yeah. Only Jimmy Stewart knows, which is Ben. I'm sorry, but it's so much easier to call him Jimmy Stewart. And um, you see him getting out his his <laughs> little bag of um, medical stuff. Dr. Goodbar or Mr. Goodtime or Dr. Goodtime. <laughs> or or I was I thought, is he getting a syringe? Oh, he, I knew he was about to knock his wife out. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's asking uh, she's asking questions and he goes, well, there's a price for your curiosity. <laughs> Go ahead, say it, say it, Jimmy. Well, well uh, Joe, there's a there's a price. There's a price you gotta pay if you want to know. And so to do that, she had to take these pills, and she didn't want to take the pills. You're trying to knock me out, Ben. You're trying to knock me out. Because I bet Ben has gone to that well plenty <laughs> of times. <laughs> I'll bet there are times she's gotten those pills and she didn't know it. <gasps> oh, Bill Cosby. Okay. <laughs> So he's, then he's just like, the Joe, you, you only have one volume when you sing. It's <laughs> it's so annoying. <laughs> really? <laughs> you ever heard of Pianissimo? Isn't that it, Pianissimo? I don't know. Oh, that might be. So he goes, oh, 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 oh Joe, oh, 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 you, you were right about Bernard. Yeah. And... They were they were looking for a suspicious married couple who were the Draytons. Oh, Bernard was looking for a suspicious married couple. Right. So he thought maybe they were the suspicious married couple. Mm-hmm. And, but it was the Draytons who were the suspicious one. So he tells Joe, and she's crying. And then she has slobber coming out of the side of her mouth because she's knocked out at this point. Yeah. And then, and then, once once Ben can see that those pills are really taking effect <laughs> right before her eyelids go, he's like, "Oh, and by the way, they have our son, and I don't know where he is." <laughs> and she's like, "You son of a Casey." <laughs> okay, so <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Um, now it's nighttime. Ben is packing clothes. Yeah, and what's her? She's out cold. Then she starts to wake up. Mm-hmm. And Ben says, the Draytons are gone. We can't bring the police in. We're going to London. Can you imagine leaving leaving Switzerland without your... I mean, I mean, America. <laughs> going to London on the Draytons' private plane. No, now, wait. No, the Draytons have a private plane. I thought that the Draytons had a private plane, and that's how they knew that they went to London. Not you thought that they took the Drayton's private plane. I did. Well, just now I was going. I don't think that was the wisest thing they could do. Well, what we're okay. gonna do is the pilots like looking at the manifest. All right, Drayton, you want me to take you to London, and then you want me to fly back so that I could pick up the guy who's on your tail? Okay, not everything makes sense. Okay. Um, so they're going to London and they're going to find Ambrose Chapel. Yes. Uh, so they're at the airport in London and the press is waiting for her. Everybody, all of her fans are there. They're so excited to see her. <gasps> Joe Conway. Joe, Joe, Joe. Except for there's this woman. They keep cutting to this woman who looks, if you had to... <laughs> 
I describe her appearance as a literal wet blanket. Wait, Coke bottle glasses? Yeah. She yeah. just looks a like a yellow wet... yellow corduroy coat. <laughs> okay, even in 1956, a yellow corduroy coat was not close to fashion. Coke bottle glasses, this hair that looked like... Like, like, just imagine a yellow wet blanket with, like, a brown top and, and glasses. And that's what this woman looked like. Yeah, she she was purposely not attractive. So we're allowed to make fun of her. Yeah. Because she was purposely not attractive. I'm sure in real life she was a very attractive woman. I don't know. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> so there's this guy, Parnell, who evidently Joe used to work with. And... And this Parnell person was a real person. Mm, yes, he was a real theater. A real theater person. person. So her best friends from the theater come. Oh, we're not there Mm-mm. yet. Okay. So um, Scotland Yard. They contact Scotland Yard? Um, yeah, they go to Scotland Yard. There's a, okay. uh, I guess there's a Mr. Buchanan. Yes. And they are shocked that his son has been abducted. No, they're not shocked. They know. They come. Ben and Joe come in, and Buchanan's like, "We know your son was taken." And then, and that's why that's because Joe and and Ben are like, "What? How do you know?" Oh, at least that's how I read it. Okay, okay, that's. Fine. I could be mistaken because I was like, "Wait, how do they know?" I don't know. Oh, I think the people. I, I, I don't know. Not going to do that. We don't know. And that, Joe that, said, "There's no need to scare us because they're going. Look, you can't find him on your own. You got it. You need help from us. Yeah, you're not. You, you think you're Liam Neeson? You think that you're a man with certain uh, a specific set of jobs of skills? Yeah. You don't have that specific. Jimmy Stewart, you can't even spit out a sentence. You do not have that specific job. Well, I, I, um, ball." But Joe and Ben decide they're going to stick with their plan. They're not going to talk. Then there's a phone call from, for Joe this time. Mm-hmm. And it's Mrs. And they let her speak to Hank. Mommy, is that you? Where are you? Where are you, Hank? Tell me where you are. Eight. And then a hang up. At this point, I'm thinking, like, Hank. He, Hank wasn't... Hank was precocious. He mm-hmm. he wasn't. I mean, he's the boy that. I mean, he knew how. He dropped the word and intravenous, and mm-hmm. you know, he's he's very he's very smart, very precocious mouthy. Is yeah, yeah, that's why I say he's like precocious. He's the he was walking along. I just I found it hard to believe that the they weren't going to get sick of Hank. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like th- th- these people, they kidnap this kid and he's a handful. Yeah, they, they really want to give him back. Yeah. But they can't do that until the, the big guy gets assassinated and then they can have Hank back. Because <laughs> that always happens in a kidnapping. So was, what if she did? What if she was just like, well, you know, she's you Joe. You're on the phone. They tell you this. We're going to we're going to hold on to your son. And if you say a word and the big guy doesn't get assassinated, we're going to kill him. And then Joe's just like, there's a pause, a beat. She's like, well, you know, Hank had a good run. <laughs> Hangs up the phone. Like, where's the stage? I got to sing. <laughs> exactly. That means 
I don't have to go back to Indianapolis. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Okay. Ben, so I want a divorce. On the, on the way. You know, it's tragic, but hey. Okay, so they're at the hotel and bells are ringing. I don't know what that. Um, and so they look up Ambrose Chapel in the telephone book. And just then, these uh, four friends of Joe's just barge in the room. I mean, can we just put our feet up and, and you got to just knock and then all of a sudden you're just in the hotel room. And then and, and I'm going, he's on the phone trying to find Ambrose Chapel. Why doesn't she say, you know, guys, it's not a good time. I'll meet you down at the bar in, in a half hour. Can you imagine if Poppy was on the phone? <laughs> trying to find this Ambrose Chapel. And Before my friends came in. Come in. <laughs> oh, no. man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so Jimmy Stewart goes, hey, I'm sorry, but I have to go out to meet this person. And she goes, take me with you. I can't take you with me. You have four friends in here. You yeah. got to deal with these people. And he's like, uh, just, just uh, order drinks. <laughs> Go ahead, get drunk. I, I don't have time to get my pills out for all of you, so just have some alcohol. So then Ben is Ben arrives at Ambrose Chapel's a uh, place. But before he gets there, classic Hitchcock scene. He's walking down the street. The street is deserted. Only him. You hear his footsteps. And then it sounded you hear, like he had taps on his shoes. Well, because because he had this was the suspense part. So you're 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 seeing him. You don't see. There's no one else. You don't see anyone else. You hear his footsteps, and then you kind of hear like, could it be somebody else's footsteps? Uh-huh. And so then Jimmy Stewart stops. Footsteps stop. When he keep, he turns around, doesn't see anyone. Keeps walking. Hears the footsteps again. Turns around, like this scene that keeps on going, building suspense. And then he turns around and he sees a guy, and the guy's coming up behind him, and he's got a trench coat on. And Jimmy Stewart stops, and he gets the the Jimmy Stewart eyes going of like, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna have to kill this man? <laughs> like, what's going on? I'm a doctor, not a killer. And the guy just walks right past him. And you're like, I'm Hitchcock. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just to keep you on your toes. Ah. So he goes in to Ambrose Chapel's place. It turns out to be a taxidermist. Mm. Creepy. I have a question by that because it was during the filming of this movie that Doris Day started her uh, lifelong pursuit of, of animal uh, against animal cruelty. Because the animals were not being treated well on the set. And she said she wasn't going to go back to the set until they were properly fed, properly housed, had proper water. So I wondered how she felt about the taxidermist part. Well, they probably were like in the production meeting. All right. Doris Day is really big on the animals. Um, let's make sure that she's not in this scene and no one tell her about it. They're like, well, that's true. Deal. Because <laughs> it ended, uh, Jimmy Stewart's hand was in the taxidermist. Did-did-did. Well, yeah, because he, he comes in, or... he busts in, and he's like, I got to see Ambrose Chapel. 
And this old guy walks up and he's like, I'm Ambrose Chapel. And he's like, well, um, I was told, like, he's just kind of looking at him like he's going to know what he's talking about, which I thought was funny because in the note, it says see Ambrose Chapel. But if Bernard gets killed, how is Ambrose Chapel going to know anything about who Ben McKenna is? And Jimmy Stewart's just like, you, you know who I am. So so talk. Yeah. And, and Ambrose Chappell's like, you, 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 you know, you know who I am. You, you know my name. And so then uh, Ambrose's like, um, I don't know what you're talking about, but you're probably looking for someone else. And so and he's like, Ambrose. And then his son, Ambrose Chapel Jr. comes out. And then Jimmy Stewart gets a little like, give me back my son. And Ambrose Chappell's like, what the hell? Get your hands off of me. And so then there's a, a whole scuffle ensues in the taxidermy. There's a swordfish that gets precariously close to Jimmy Stewart's neck. Jimmy Stewart gets his hand bit by a stuffed tiger somehow. Yeah. Yeah. It was more comic relief. Yeah. And so Jimmy Stewart fights off all five of these taxidermist people. He gets out. Um... At this point, back at the hotel, Joe realizes Ambrose Chapel is a place, not a person. Mm-hmm. So, of course, she goes there on her own. Well, she she get, has somebody tell her, like, what the address is, because I guess she, she can't figure that out herself. So the real dude, the theater dude, Parnell, tells her and is like, all right, um, I'm going to go out. When my husband comes back, tell him that it's a place and tell him where I went. And I thought it was hilarious that the friends are still there. Like, I know. they left and they're like, all right, cool. Can yeah. we order another round? <laughs> Maybe they found his little bag of mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals. Fentanyl? So um, we see actually, it, oh, this is the place where where uh, Hank is being kept, right? So we go to no. Ambrose. Well, Joe leaves. You kind of see Ambrose Chapel. And then he goes back to the hotel. And the friends are sitting about. And uh, Ben walks in. And they tell him where Joe went. And Ben's about to leave. But then Joe calls. And then at Ambrose Chapel... We see that Lucy is there, Lucy Drayton, she's there, looking nefarious as ever. And the the wet blanket girl, Edna, from the airport, yeah, yeah, uh, she's playing checkers with Hank. And Hank is wearing her out at checkers. And Hank is is, uh, lucky to be alive, because Edna has about had it with Hank. Edna, right. Edna's ready to do him in. And then next door, the creepy man. Creepy face. Creepy face is getting two tickets for the Royal Albert Hall concert. They're getting their tuxes on and they're getting their guns. And then Mr. Drayton is playing um, the record of the cantata that's going to be played tonight, getting to the one note that the cymbal dude plays. Because when the cymbal dude... Clang, clangs the symbols. That is the same moment that Creepy Face has to shoot the ambassador, prime minister, whoever he is. Right. I've dubbed the percussionist 
who plays the crash symbol is Jean from now on. Okay. And this is increasing the suspense here. We're having us hear it twice to lets us know exactly what's going to happen. But I thought it was kind of funny that he's like, ah, it's the day of. They have this plan in effect. It's the day of. And Drayton's like, all right, this guy already has his tux on to go out. And he's like, all right, here, listen to it. Yeah. And like, who is this guy like a, a musical savant? Because he, he, he doesn't start it from the beginning either. He's just pu- like puts it in a couple measures before so he can hear. And he's like, right there. That's when you do it. Was, There's only one like, shot. No room for any mistakes. I'm like, where's the sheet music, bro? I, I need I should have had this. I should have had this a month ago. I need to study. A creepy face could. And remember, it's a rather long cantata. If if we had to listen to the whole thing, we would have lost the audience. Yeah, and I'm sure that there's many build-ups and crescendos and decrescendos and whatnot. This guy's going to be like, oh, what? Yeah, that's true. I mean, does he have any sort of... of percussion training or background does he, he know needs to what do beat is it's going to be because on? the symbolist jeeves who are you calling him? gene uh only has one note to play in the whole cantata so you just got to look for him to pick up the symbols yeah but it's, still um, it's when he crashes it's it usually will, it's probably a crash on one does he even know that does he even know where the one falls unbelievable i don't think so so anyway Creepy dude is going to be accompanied by Miss Benson. You know, that's probably, Edna was probably really mad about that. Yeah. I bet Edna wanted to go. Edna probably loves the theater. She would love to go to one that she could listen to because she couldn't see very well. Oh, Coke bottle damn. Glasses. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as as Ben and Joe are arriving in the front of Ambrose Chapel, all the other people are leaving out the back, and Hank is going out the back. No, we're not. Uh, are we there yet? I am. Well, no, because they haven't left yet. <laughs> you are. Yeah, I know you are. They haven't <laughs> left yet because when, when Joe and Ben arrive to Ambrose Chapel, the church service is going on. Which this, oh, (laughs) remember? And so they, because it's funny, because they get in there, they kind of get in the back, and uh, Jimmy, they're singing a hymn. Very, I don't know, is this Church of England, Anglican? Because it's very dour music. Well, it looks like a homeless shelter. Yeah, and so very drab. And they kind of make their way in the back. Jimmy Stewart gives them a a hymnal. They kind of open it up. Jimmy Stewart just like is pretending to sing. And what does what does old Joe do? She opens her mouth to sing. And again, (laughs) one volume Joe opens her mouth, and everyone turns around (laughs) because everyone hears her. Yeah. Jimmy Stewart's like, this is why I drug you. <laughs> Jeez. Like, don't you hear everyone? They're not you coming in with your vibrato. Pianissimo. Pianissimo. Full, <laughs> full-throated. Okay. Like, come on. Know your audience, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> Mrs. Drayton's coming down the aisle collecting money, of course. These people don't and, have any money either, from the looks know. of them. And Joe and Ben are trying not to be seen, but... <laughs> Then, um, 
she's walking. She she sees him. She makes eye contact with him, and she's walking back up the aisle, Mrs. Drayton. And <laughs> this is you. Eye she, contact with she, Mr. Drayton. She does. And, she pulls a mask so hard in this when she walks up <laughs> to Mr. Drayton, who's at the pulpit, and he's talking. Like, no, they're still singing, and her eyes. <laughs> Are just flickering over to where Joe is. Like she, she looks like she's about to have a fit. But you know what it reminded me of? When you broke your oboe, <laughs> Reed, and you're in the concert and you're trying to get the attention yeah. of your of your teacher conductor. Like this is a good. I know that there's a solo about to happen. This I can't do it. This isn't gonna Hello. happen. Hello, can you please? Hey, look at hey, me? look at me. Look at look at my eyes. I'm. This it's is about to get really ugly. This Hello. Is, oh, Hello. this is about to tank. This is about to tank so hard. Oh. oh. And then, but hey, the show went on, and the, you played with that book. The show need. must go on. Yes, you did. <laughs> oh, the, life was good. Oh, the strangled cat sounds that that instrument made. <laughs> It wasn't pretty, but your perseverance was amazing. I prefer to think of it as experimental. (laughs) There you go. There you go. If that works for you, if that helps you sleep at night, let's go with it. Oh, my gosh. That was so funny. So then uh, Ben goes, hey, Joe, get out of here. Call Buchanan. Tell him to come and surround the place. Yes. And... (laughs) Are you with us or are you reliving there? Flashback. No, that was, I think that was one of the funniest things I've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's one of those like, hey, it is what it is. I'm not embarrassed by it. It's like, this is is what you get with the double woodwind. Who invented (laughs) this thing? And I should have been playing tenor saxophone. Which is what you wanted to play in in the the first first place. place. And they made you play the oboe. So uh, they got what they deserve. Right. So, so everybody sees slow Joe <laughs> slow Joe slip out because she doesn't do anything pianissimo. And everybody actually leaves, like because well, well they cut the service short. Mr. Drayton goes, uh, uh, uh. By the way, uh, yeah, we're gonna go home and think on this. Because it was a sermon about adversity. <laughs> it's like everybody has adversity. So, uh, you know, why don't you just think and be grateful for what you do have? Because it could be a lot worse. And uh, actually, why don't you go home and think about that? Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. So Ben stays. Ben's left in the chapel. And he uh, he yells they for Hank. Doors. Yeah, they, they lock the doors. And he's, he's like, give me back my son. And Drain's like, what are you talking about? And Ben yells for Hank. And Hank yells back. Yes, he does. And there's a struggle. And somebody comes and pops Ben upside the head. Yeah. And he falls. Falls. And then Joe's on that, uh, in that uh, phone booth outside trying mm-hmm. to get in touch with Buchanan. And they're like, Buchanan's not here, man. And he's like, where is he? He's at Albert Hall. So she just says, I'll go to Albert Hall myself. Yeah, well, she's like, look, I've, Ambrose Chapel is a place. It's here. I need you to, to like, send some policemen here. Yeah, and they come, but they they can't do anything because they don't have a search warrant. And, and Joe police, tries, Yeah, Joe tries the front door, and it's locked. And the police didn't carry guns in England, so... It's not like they could shoot up the place. 
<laughs> why why are they gonna shoot up the place they this lady calls and says like my son like here's this ambrose chapel place like my son is here and the police is gonna show up like the swat team is gonna show i guess in america yeah the swat team would show up and they would just like drop a bomb on it and be like where is he but the the British the bobbies come and they're like, um, it's locked. They just walk around. They're like, well, it's locked and it doesn't seem like anybody's in there and we don't have a search warrant. So, uh, bye. Oh, bye. <laughs> Actually, they're like, well, we can give you a ride to where you need to go. And she's like, mm-hmm. I need to go to Royal Albert Hall. And he's like, that's too far. How about we just drop you off at the taxi station? <laughs> And at this point, they're taking Hank out the back. Right. And this is the second time, because there was a time when I think, oh, who? Ben had to do something, and he had to kind of, like, slip out. And Joe was like, oh, be careful. And he's like, don't worry. I'm going to use the back entrance. And then this guy slips out the back. Like, everybody always used the back entrance. So I was kind of like, why wouldn't the police at least just, you know, be like, you know what we're going to do, Joe? We're just going to stick two bobbies on the back entrance. Yeah. Because anything bad that happens, like, bad guys only use the back entrance. Yeah, but, what? I mean, there's not a lot they could do. They didn't have guns, so. <laughs> I, I mean, they had, like, their, their billy clubs and their sticks. There you go. So, um... Oh, so then they get to the embassy. And I don't understand what embassy it was. It looked like AOS on the outside. So, yeah, I I, I don't know either. But it was an embassy. It yeah, it was a, an em- embassy. And uh, the people in charge clear the kitchen out, and the kitchen staff's going, dang, we always have to get cleared out. They're always bringing people in through the kitchen. I see. So Again, they're bringing Hank the there. And putting him upstairs. Yeah, but the kitchen staff was like, yo, we should have been the kitchen staff in Switzerland. They're neutral. They don't have to be clearing the kitchen every hour. Which is funny because in the original 1934, this this started in Switzerland, not Casablanca. Okay, so then you hear the chapel bell ringing back at Ambrose Chapel because Ben is climbing the rope to the bell tower, which reminded me of Vertigo when he's up on the bell tower in Vertigo. Mm. Yes, I was pretty impressed that the old doctor still had the physical strength to, to climb up, to rope climb that much. I'll bet that rope had knots in it. Well. Because his legs didn't look like they had any strength in him at he all. He was very spindly. Yeah. His pants up to his armpits. And he was so older, too. We're back at the Royal Albert Hall. Joe goes in. Creepy face sees Joe and says, You have a very nice little boy. His safety will depend on you tonight. Ooh. So then... <laughs> She goes into the Royal Albert Hall and they go, ticket, please. And she goes, oh, I'm just looking for someone. And they leave her alone. They don't say, well, you can't stand here and look for somebody. They leave her alone. Yeah. So she sees creepy face across, up on the balcony, across from Prime Minister Ambassador. And the orchestra and choir are going. 
There is Symbol Dude up there. Gene. He only has his one note to play. Which I thought, I thought, I didn't know, I forgot who he, what he looked like. This Gene, what Gene looked like. So, because the shot only, you only really see, like the main focus of the shot is the two chairs. And on each chair is a symbol. Mm-hmm. And so I was mm-hmm. like, man, where's Gene? <laughs> like they started the symphony without Gene. No one in the percussion section was like, guys, guys, where's Gene? Why Gene? Why are you calling him Gene? I just thought that that's who, like that guy would be called Gene. Okay. G-E-N-E? Come on, Gene. Yeah. Okay. Like as in Eugene. His real name's Eugene, but he just goes <gasps> that by Gene. That makes so much more sense to me. Okay, so there's al- there's a scene between there's always the shot now when we are in the Royal Albert Hall it's 12 minutes with no dialogue. Yes. And there's a shot between creepy face Joe ambassador prime minister and that goes back and forth and back and forth. Although uh, and um and creepy face has the opera glasses and he's looking at the prime minister ambassador because i don't know which one which it was but they say that the shot um looks like it's a shot down what actually he would be looking across so that was just some trivia and joe is crying because she has to make a choice is she gonna save her little boy or is she gonna save the life of the ambassador prime minister it's it's actually the prime minister Oh, it is prime minister. Okay, he, the the foreign prime minister is is there, and it is a master class in editing and how to create tension because you have this very tension filled uh, piece of music that's playing, and you have these shots between Joe and the creepy face and the prime minister, and the music and the is swelling, and the symbols and. This and creepy face does a lot of um, looking and slowly turning, so it looks like he's looking at you and and what Joe is seeing. All of that, great, great visual filmmaking. It was, and this is where the audience is pulled in because we've heard the cantata a couple bars before the symbols, and so we're listening for that. Like, did I remember that? When is it coming? I don't know when it's coming. So this is a great. Great textbook example of how to create suspense. And because it's the difference between... Hitchcock always said this. This is in the Truffaut book somewhere. But it's the difference between you're sitting on a bus and it's just riding along and a bomb goes off. And the shock of that. It's, It's a very like, oh jump shot like you're just completely startled by it those sort of like when you see a horror movie and it's like the the jump scare and something comes out at you and it it does that and for that moment you're scared it gets you it does the effect but if you take the same bus and you see somebody place a bomb under the seat and then you do everything the same that you shot it the same people are on the bus but this time the audience knows there's a bomb Mm -hmm. and the audience can see the bomb ticking down well now you've created that uh, a whole bunch of suspenseful moments you've taken that initial like the surprise shock and you've spread that out so you're looking because you know we know as the audience when 
the the shot is supposed to happen and we know that we're getting closer and closer to it and what's going to happen that's suspense. yeah and, and and it was it it involves the audience then the suspense is the audience knowing because none of the other characters no no like joe doesn't know when this is all like she knows that she it's knows gonna it's happen gonna happen but not when mm-hmm and did you notice that she uh, was wearing a, her brooch was actually a safety pin? No. So, so I, did you notice that? No. So I was thinking it was foreshadowing of Hillary Nation. <laughs> she was going to have to make the choice for the better good. Okay. Hello? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Crickets? Yeah, I think. Okay. Yeah. So at this point, Ben comes rushing in and he sees Joe. Ben also doesn't have a ticket. <laughs> and they let him come in and see Joe. And they're pantomiming because, again, 12 minutes of no dialogue. Well, originally, though, there was a whole oh, yeah. page long scene where Jimmy as Ben is blah, blah, oh, blah, blah, oh, you know, and going through these whole lines. And, and Hitchcock was like, look. Uh, why don't you just run up the steps and just like wave your arms about mm-hmm. like don't don't talk just like and then but just like you know pretending you're like telling her everything we don't need to hear it exactly because they're pantomiming and they're obviously arguing about what to do and so he's running upstairs trying to get to the prime minister which is something the- you can do because here here's the sweaty old like American man who's ranting like a lunatic. Let's let him right near the prime minister. Exactly. And so the police are, are stopping him, of course. And then he's, he's telling him that, no, he has to get to the prime minister. And, and then they're pushing, they're sending him away. And then he's opening the doors to the, the balcony boxes and it's always the wrong one. So the um, tension continues to mount. Mm hmm. And it's almost time for the symbols. You can tell because we have more pictures of the symbols. And then um, Creepy Face gets the gun out and then turns around and then goes back behind the curtain. And then you see the curtain move. And and then then you see the barrel of the gun. And then... And and the, and we see Joe looking back and forth, looking back and forth like a tennis match. What do I do? What do the I do? The music's building. The music's building. Timpanies are being hit. Timpanies are being hit. And she screams. <laughs> Thank goodness she had that loud voice. And so that startles everybody. And the prime minister shot in the arm because she screams right, like in the beat, right before the one of the crash. She right screamed before right before. So the guy, and luckily, Creepy Face jerked to the left. Can you imagine if Creepy Face had, like, what if Creepy Face had jerked up and it was just a headshot? Like, Creepy Ooh. Face was entering for the chest. Joe screamed. He, he, get, he jerks up, like, nails the prime minister. Yeah. But he didn't. He hits the prime minister in the arm. So Ben chases Creepy Dude back into the balcony place 
and creepy dude falls over the balcony and chaos ensues. Yes, creepy face meets his demise. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Buchanan is there. So he goes, both of you knew. Um, And the prime minister comes over and thanks them. And and, um, Mr. Buchanan says, "Uh, the prime minister, you know, wants to wants to talk to you because you saved his life. And so Ben goes, well, 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 how about how about we go to the embassy tonight? Because there's a big, big affair going on tonight. No, that's not when that's he doesn't make that. They're like, oh, okay. And then he. um, I'm looking at my notes because she screams, tosses. Oh, Buchanan asked to talk to them in their room. Because you both, oh crap, he knows they're, where's the notes? Oh, so, <gasps> oh yeah, they're at the embassy, all it? <laughs> In the embassy, Mr. and Mrs. D, oh, because there's a scene where they're at the embassy and Mr. and Mrs. Drayton yeah. go in and see um, His Excellency. Yeah, they just say His Excellency. And there's a portrait of the prime minister behind his excellency. Uh, his excellency is holding a gala that night for the prime minister, but the prime minister was supposed to be dead. So this excellency guy was the one who had arranged the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And the excellency guy is pissed at, Lisa, at Lucy and Ed because he's like, don't you realize that Americans don't like their children taken? Right. That's like <laughs> America, number one. Don't like their children taken. Number two, Second Amendment. <laughs> That's like. And how are you going to get the kid out of here? Yeah, he's like, he's like, why did you guys mess this up? You you brought this kid, and then all of a sudden these Americans, like, what you thought they were just going to like let it go and be like, oh, bye. And he's like, well, look, I want to give him to a stranger to babysit. Yeah, well, apparently that's not a sign <laughs> of bad parenting. So. <laughs> the, his excellency is like look I want this kid out of here and I want him out of here in a way that he's never going to tell anybody anything again Which and is Mrs. A, Drayton goes <gasps> no it's the most polite way of saying I want you to kill that kid exactly Colombian necktie so Albert then we go back to Albert Hall um and they're like, well, we can't do anything because it's an embassy. Like they, Hank might be, Hank is, yeah, Hank's probably at the embassy, but that's what embassy means. It's, right. And we have to have positive proof he's there before yeah. we can do anything. And he's like, and even what else, what could they do really? Isn't there executive diplomatic? Diplomatic person? immunity. Immunity. Well, Ben comes so up with a plan. Go, yeah. Joe with her um, bravado. One volume Joe over here. <laughs> One volume Joe goes to speak to the prime minister. Excuse me, I just burped. <laughs> and <laughs> she goes, well, you want to thank us? How about we come to your gala tonight? Mm-hmm. And um, the plan is Joe will sing and hold everyone's attention because that's all you could do when she's singing. And Hank, um, Ben will go looking for Hank. Because yeah, he's Ben's like, 
Look, Joe has one volume and one volume only, and I'm <laughs> guessing that that embassy is pretty much stoned. So she's going to carry. That voice is going to carry like nobody's business. It's going to be a siren song to young Hank. Watch. That's right. That's right. And so they walk in the in the gala, and all these women are, uh, like, dressed to the nines. And here's Joe in her little gray suit. And they're looking at her with their noses in the air. Who is this? I didn't even pick in? up on that. Oh, yeah. They were they were definitely side-eyeing Joe. But she's Joe Conway. I'd be like, <gasps> hey, I'd be like, look, bitches, this is Edith Head. <laughs> it's the exact same suit that somebody else wore in another Alfred Hitchcock movie, but I digress. So um, they go, oh, will you will you sing for us? Oh. If I must, if I must. Oh, oh, you're too, okay. So she goes and sits down and she starts singing Que Sera Now, Doris Day didn't really want to sing this song in the movie. and She didn't want it to be the song in the movie because she felt like it was a really childish little nursery rhyme type song. How dare you, Doris Day. But um, then it became her theme song. She sang it in two other movies. So she did it. It did her okay. Sly and the Family Stone did a great version of it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Are you oh kidding me? You haven't ever heard Sly and the Family Stone? Oh, I'm going to have to look. I thought that's up. where you got the song from. No. Oh, my God. Wow. I can't even imagine. <laughs> so anyway, she starts belting it out, as only Joe can do. And Hank wakes up, and he's with Mrs. Drayton. And she goes... Um, he goes, that's my mommy. And Are you sure? Nobody sings like my mommy. <laughs> so she goes, Hank, can you whistle? Can you whistle that song? Whistle it as loud as you can. Whistle like you've never whistled before. So he starts whistling and she hears him. Well, wait, so wait, then, wait, wait. Go ahead. <laughs> she hears him because Ben does what I always do, which is he jumps the chorus. Because he's like, will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. And he, at that point, he just, he, his, he's already at the case of Ross And she wasn't ready to hit that yet. She had to take a, an air. She had to get ah. her lungs filled. And she's like, <gasps> and he's already like, <sighs> and then she's like, oh, and she hears it, but she's got to keep going. And then she like cranks it. As only she can do. Mm-hmm. And that's when, uh, and, and Ben heard it too. He's like, ah, oh, that's my boy Hank coming in early. And we cut to a scene where we see the chauffeur with a rope in his hands. Like he's getting ready to strangle Hank. Mm-hmm. Drayton's like, I'm going to go up. I'm going to get Hank. I'm going to bring him down here. You're going to kill him. Right. So Ben breaks in the room. He finds well, wait, Hank. Wait, wait, wait. Because again, like some suspense. So we're in the room. We're with Lucy and Hank. And and Hank is whistling, and you see the, the doorknob start to turn very slowly, and it's slowly, and Lucy yells, no! And that's when uh, the door crashes open, and it's Ben. Because it could have been Drayton. It could have been, but right, it's, it's exactly. Ben, and there's an but embrace. Th- and Drayton does get up there with a gun. Yeah, because he's about to walk out and his gun pops out and it's pointed right at little Hank's head. It is. 
And then, and then, so Drayton goes, we're walking out of here. Yeah, because Lucy tries to, she's like, don't kill the boy, let him, let him go. And Drayton's pretty much like, look, like, that's what I'm trying to do. So he has the gun pointed on the two of them. And he's like, look here. Look here, Ben and Hank. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do, see? We're going to calmly walk down these stairs and out the front door. Neither one of you. There's going to be no emotions. Got it? You got it, see? And, and he, so he, he puts the gun in his pocket. And he's <laughs> like everybody does with their, with their forefinger mm-hmm. when they pretend they have a gun in their pocket. So they're going down the steps. Right. Very calm. And, no emotions. Jimmy Stewart's eyes are jumping all over the place. He's thinking. All over the place. And um, when they get to a landing before the last set of steps, he pulls Hank to him and pushes Drayton down the steps. Drayton goes tumbling down the steps and his gun goes off. Oh, I didn't Killing know. him. Oh, yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. And then everybody himself. stops. Even, even Doris Day stops. <gasps> Filting it out. Hank runs to his mom. Mm-hmm. The last scene, they um, Hank, Joe, and Ben go back to the hotel room. Where, where the friends, friends are, are still there. Except this time they're passed out. All passed out. And Joe goes, I'm sorry we were gone so long. We had to go over and pick up Hank. <laughs> this was the man who knew too much. And yep. Okay, so I've told you a lot of my um, trivia that I learned. Uh, when Doris Day was outside of Ambrose Chapel, and she was in the little red, those cute red um, telephone booths up the English, behind her there was a billboard advertising lifesavers, and it was, was that symbolism that they were going to be able to save Hank? Oh, I didn't notice. And her gray suit was identical to the one worn by Madeline in Vertigo. Ah. Uh-huh. So I um, also got out your book, Hitchcock Truffaut. How do you say it? Not Truffaut. Hitchcock Truffaut. Truffaut. Um, uh, Hitchcock was evidently the greatest British success story in film. Is that true? I believe it. Um, in the original one, it was a little girl who was captured. Mm, but um, everybody knows that, that if a girl had been kidnapped, nobody cares. Nobody would have cared. That's true. And the part about getting um, out of Ambrose Chapel was kind of based on a real life occurrence in 1910 when Winston Churchill was the head of the police force. Um, they were, there was a spy ring in a building and they were talking about how do you get the spy ring out since the police didn't carry any firearms. And Winston Churchill suggested using a fire hose. Um, and, and so that, that was, that prompted um, Alfred Hitchcock to, to think of how to get the, them out of Ambrose Chapel. And he said the idea of the symbols being just the one note came from a cartoon called Punch. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I thought that like a, a better way would be to set the chapel on fire, but I guess that's kind of evil. Well, 
if you have people and they're inside and you want to get them out that's well that's true or or a smoke bomb yeah and then they talked about the heightening of the suspense all the ways that you've already talked about yeah this is always one of my favorite it's not like it's not one of hitchcock's uh looked about ballyhooed films Right. But I always like it because it was Kesarasara and you would always sing that. You know, uh-huh. when you were vacuuming in your heels and pearls, <laughs> twirling in my about. Dress. Mm-hmm. Singing Kesarasara, which yeah. I always thought was from Sly and the Family Stone, but apparently in your childhood you listened to Doris Day. Oh my God. Um,. <laughs> In the 50s and 60s, Alfred Hitchcock collaborated with David O. Selznick, which ties us into our Gone with the Wind, our first film. So this film actually ties into our first film as well as our second film. Well, did David O. Selznick, like, produce it? Um, he, he collaborated with him on Rebecca, Notorious, Spellbound, and Paradigm Case. Oh, so all the earlier ones. And then in the 50s, Alfred Hitchcock had a TV show. Mm. And so the critics were really harsh on him. Um, They didn't take his work seriously at all. And um, in 1960, Truffaut was in New York. And the critics asked him why he liked Rear Window so much. And they told him, you like Rear Window because as a stranger to New York, you know nothing about Greenwich Village. And Truffaut said, Rear Window is not about Greenwich Village. It's about cinema. And I do know cinema. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, people didn't, like, of his time, Hitchcock was, I mean, I I hate to say this, but I guess, I guess he was like Michael Bay. Yeah. That he, you know, he just made these movies for, for crowd-pleasing people. And it was only yes. until later. He never won an he only won an honorary Academy Award. Right. So I think only one of his pictures, I think Rebecca was the only one to win like best picture. So he didn't ever really get much love. The critics were was like, ah, poo pooing him and then Exactly. It was it fluff. Yeah. They were fluff movies. It's only been since. I mean a few years ago, everybody's and since now everybody's like gaga over vertigo they're like oh it's his masterpiece and stuff and i'm like huh and and we did the man who knew too much because it isn't as as promoted or talked about so that our listeners could branch out a little bit from the films that they know Mm -hmm. and it's fun because it has quesarasara in it and has a great climax scene it, yeah, and and how how that the climax and the suspense just kept building. Mm-hmm. He did a total of fifty three films. I have damn, and he was a bit of an odd guy. Oh, kind of got rather yeah. attached to the blondes who worked for him. He liked his icy blondes. Yeah, he's an interesting man. Yeah, but it was fun. This was a fun fun one to do. And um, do you have any more to say about the man who knew too much, Aaron? I do not. Well, we decided to listen to our listeners to comments on our comment section 
Thank you, Thank Donaldson. you. And our um, listeners have suggested a few other films for us, one of which is 12 Angry Men. Mm. And uh, I know that we, uh, my graduate school class, looked did some looking of 12 Angry Men. So we decided we would take their suggestion and do that next week. What's some looking? Like, the, I don't get that. You did some looking at 12 Angry Men? Well, they, they showed clips. Oh. I don't think they showed the whole movie, but they showed clips. All right. So I think that's it for this week. Now you all are the audience who knew too much. Oh, very good. Keep those suggestions and comments coming. You only make us better. Mm -hmm. And if you like or enjoyed what you are listening to, um, tell someone. Erin has an idea for um, the people who get shout outs to, uh, to bring three more listeners to our podcast. Yeah, I don't know how we would keep track of that, but we're we're just going on the honor system. Yeah, I got three people to listen. You get a shout out. You get a shout out. <laughs> you might even get a free T-shirt, <laughs> like a, just a Hanes regular T-shirt. Exactly. We don't even have a logo for the podcast. We don't have a logo, but we're already making T-shirts. <laughs> Who are a, you? A Hanes medium T-shirt. <laughs> Okay. Who can't use another Hanes t-shirt? <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. Okay. All right. Until next week. Until next week. Bye-bye.